Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs on Monocle Radio, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. Today's programme is all about Portuguese wine. First, we'll meet a founder and restaurateur on a mission to use his ventures to spread the word about the wonders of Portuguese vinho. There is such a varied terroir which gives birth to these incredible wines that have unique identity. There is so much diversity in the offering. Portugal's wine scene is exploding. Later, we'll head to a winery in Alentejo that dates back to the mid-18th century and meet the young entrepreneurs using a traditional technique to make natural wine. The big difference we use are the grape, the skins, the stem and the seeds. So we put that inside the talia, then the fermentation will start. This is The Entrepreneurs, with me, Tom Edwards. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Fester founder Max Graham has an amazing wine heritage. Growing up, he spent his childhood in Portugal, where his family's been producing wine in the Douro Valley for more than two centuries, and founded Graham's and Churchill's porthouses. Having been immersed in the wine world, not literally, from an early age, Max didn't understand why the varieties of his home country were so poorly represented here in London, and he saw an opportunity. In 2016, he opened the critically acclaimed Portuguese wine bar and restaurant Barduro in London Bridge, followed by another location in the City of London four years later. Last year, he also launched the Festa Wine Shop and Festival, stocking the UK's biggest range of Portuguese wines and supplying some of the very best restaurants in the capital with their wares. Max stopped by Midori House to share his enthusiasm for Portuguese wine, and he began by giving us the background story of the family business. My dad, you know, set up, he's an entrepreneur. He founded Churchill's Port in 1981. Our family had been making wine and port in the Douro Valley for for almost 200 years. So when he started, he was the first port company to be established in over 50 years. So, you know, I think there's definitely entrepreneurial spirit in the family and that I grew up surrounded by. You know, I then went went on after school to study fine arts. And I guess, you know, practicing as an artist is an entrepreneurial pursuit activity, you know, involves a lot of problem solving, a hell of a lot of grafting. And I think that, you know, put me instead to be able to problem solve alone. Working as an artist is a very low, not lonely, but, you know, you, you, you have to be... It can be very lonely. Yeah, you, yeah. you have to be self, self-sufficient. And, you know, I think that that did put me in good stead for for the next ventures that, that I pursued. And tell me, it's interesting, because obviously your your family story there about that background, there is this interesting blend of heritage, long-storied, but being innovative. And actually, I think that's one of the things that's made the Doru brand successful and maybe behind some of your other success is understanding the value in tradition and heritage. It doesn't mean you are old-fashioned in your approach. It doesn't mean you can't innovate, but you need to respect and enjoy and use those values right to set exciting future courses. Do you think that is something that's given you a perhaps unique advantage? Yeah, 100%. You know, I, I'm going to look at Bardoro in this instance. I think when I started designing the restaurant, a lot of people, particularly in Porto and Lisbon, which was, you know, at the time was was the buzzing restaurant scene you know it was in the midst of its renaissance and I was witnessing things that 
I really wanted to see in London. I felt that Portugal was really poorly represented in London. But at the same time, you know, I was aware about what gave me an emotional pull to the country. You know, even visual tools like the azulejo blue and white tiles. That might have seemed like a bit of a pastiche if I was doing it in Portugal and Lisbon, but sort of exporting that idea to the UK, it's the most traditional thing. The hand-painted ceramica bises outside Lisbon, it's one of the oldest ceramic factories in Portugal, but but it was fresh for London mm. and new. So 100%, and this is something, what you're touching on is is really what I love about the spirit of Portugal is this tension, constant tension between the past, the old and the new. You know, you walk down a street in Porto and you'll go past the Tashka, which is a traditional Portuguese restaurant. And it's full of, you know, the, the typical old men, the fishermen outside it. And you turn the corner and there's an urban roastery and or there's a sort of natural wine shop. And it's sort of these kind of global global contemporary comforts sort of living with a very, very rich traditional culture and heritage. And so there's there's this real lovely tension there. And and that's something I guess that we're we're also trying to share with our customers in London. It strikes me as really interesting, Max, in certainly this is something we cover in the magazine here at Monocle all the time and on air how exciting and dynamic and entrepreneurial Portugal is as a place to base start a business. The London hospitality scene, though, very, very different, fiercely competitive, pretty intimidating, I guess. Now, we go back, what, 2015, 16, when you were kind of getting started. Were you not put off? I mean, there's all these horrible figures about how many hospitality ventures are doomed to fail within 12 months. I think, is it like 40%, maybe higher even than that? Why at that time were you so confident that you could make this thing a success and were you put off because there must have been lots of voices saying come on Max don't do this you're you're crazy yeah I did just on that last comment I did experience a few comments like that but in general my family and friends were incredibly supportive Bardo came after a series of entrepreneurial ventures so I understood the risks and having opened up a pop-up restaurant in Soho on Greek Street I had some understanding of the the pressures and challenges of the industry. That being said, it's an industry that just rapidly evolves and constantly changes and and the problems have, and challenges have come thick and fast, especially with COVID and the last few years. But I always felt like we had a point of difference. Mm. And I guess it started with just me feeling the need for this. I just... I didn't understand why there weren't more restaurants like I was seeing in Lisbon and Porto in London. Restaurants that were really being honest about what Portuguese food is and the authenticity of Portuguese wines, but sort of presenting them in a more accessible and contemporary, a global, a more global way. Mm. You know, and I'd say in the restaurants, a, a simple way that we elevate that traditional Portuguese is, is simply through small plates, sharing formats, which traditionally in Portugal you'd have very large sharing dishes, which sometimes can be a bit overwhelming. And I think... I'm happy. I'll give, yeah. it, a, I'll give it a bash. <laughs> Generally, I like the, as big a plate as possible, yeah. whether it's sharing or otherwise. But, <laughs> but I, know exactly, I know exactly what you mean. Talk to me then, Max, a little bit about the spirit of 
fester because you've talked about this this other sort of brand if you like and it has different kind of manifestations obviously it's a celebration of and an access point to amazing portuguese wines but it's kind of more more than that tell us a bit about what defines or maybe differentiates that from from some of the other things that you've been doing so fester happened organically it started off really as a, a kind of event put on by Barduru. it was after covid uh, we really wanted to shout about what our specialism was as Barduru. And, you know, we were already importing wines from over 20 producers. We had formed very close relationships with producers and also close relationships with some of the leading experts in the industry, like Sarah Ahmed, uh, who's one of the most knowledgeable Portuguese wine writers around. And, you know, it was actually with Sarah that we conceived the idea of, of the festival. And it was exactly that. It was after COVID, we wanted to celebrate Portugal in London in a big, loud, magnificent way. I definitely... A colourful Portuguese way. Yeah, and I definitely bit off a lot more than I can chew, (laughs) but we had two and a half, over two and a half thousand people turn up to Tobacco Dock for a two-day extravaganza of Portuguese wine, Portuguese food, Portuguese music and Portuguese culture. And, you know, looking back on it, it definitely, um, it was exhausting, but it was so rewarding. And what that did was really, again, cement relationships and build new ones with suppliers, with with producers, with the community of Portugal in London or Mm. community of people passionate about Portugal in London. And afterwards, really, we kicked off our, our online shop And as I mentioned earlier, it's really, really exciting to see that now be recognised by Decanter as the best Portuguese specialist retailer. And, you know, there's so much that we want to do and grow that, that sort of arm of the business. But it also led on, you know, at the festival, there were over 25 unrepresented producers in the UK. That just goes to show we chose what we thought were the 50 most pioneering and cutting edge winemakers in Portugal at the time and the fact that half of them didn't have representation in London just goes to show how early on we are in in this journey and how much further there is to go and I think just back to what you were saying earlier what what drove me to do this is Portugal's wine scene is exploding it is so dynamic there is so much diversity in the offering from the 14 wine regions that you know, that cover the coastline to the mountains, all the way to the volcanic islands of the Azores and Madeira. There is such a varied terroir which gives birth to these incredible wines that have unique identity. And so, again, a bit like what drove me at the beginning to set up Barduru, which was seeing this buzz and excitement of Portuguese restaurants in Lisbon and Porto, What I've been noticing in the last five years in Portugal's wine scene is just new pioneers entering the scene, regions being approached in different ways, but also winemakers rescuing heritage techniques that have been around for thousands of years. You know, I would touch on on one, which is Talia. So Talia is Portugal's version of Amphora, the Alentejo region is Portugal's spiritual home of, of making these talias, which are beautiful handcrafted pots made of clay. They're the original egg-shaped 
fermenter and they produce skin contact wines. And this is this is before orange wines was even a thing. So they are the they're the original or one of the original orange wines. So it's kind of like reviving these like nuggets of of history and culture that are so relevant now. And back to that idea of tension of old and new, it's Portugal is just so rich in in that conversation. I want to ask you a bit more, Max, about where in the journey Portugal is, because we've been following this incredible soft power story and the vision of Portugal that's being sold to the world. And it is definitely like over the last 10, 15 years, finally, everyone's cottoned on to the wealth of resources that's that's there. But where are we on that journey in the UK? Has that wave crested? Because you said a minute ago, there's so much more still to share and to discover. Is that about taking this story without London and getting out and telling people? Or do you think there's just there's still more to discover? I sense from your, the enthusiasm with which you describe the things you're still finding and the heritage that's still there to, to discover that there's so much more to go. But we've not reached peak Portugal yet. No, no way. I mean, like, you know, I've been intensely exploring the country since 2016 when I set up Barduru. And it's, it's been a journey and an adventure of learning. Because, you know, when I grew up, I knew in Portugal, in Porto, you know, I knew the north very well. The mean region where we used to spend holidays by the sea, up in Afif and near Caminha, which is right on the border of Spain. Obviously, Porto and the Aveiro areas in Bairada and the Douro, obviously, but, but it was very much north. And, and discovering other areas like the Azores, like Madeira, going further south and discovering places like Setubal, where they make moshkatals, which are really, really impressive fortified wines other than ports. And there's so much still to learn. And I'm discovering new things on a daily basis. You know, from um, an outsider's perspective, I feel like Portugal, when I grew up there, it was still had a real grunge to it. This kind of fading grandeur, dilapidated buildings, but there was something quite romantic still, this undercurrent, which is still there. We then experienced the tourism boom. And now what we're seeing is the expat boom. You know, it's people actually going to live there. And you know, and those people are also demanding their global comforts. So the shape and fabric of Portugal's offering is having to evolve. At the helm of that evolution is a generation of really, really talented makers, be it chefs, be it winemakers, craftsmen. And, you know, and these are guys that have been away and explored the world and are coming back and realizing the potential of their home country but with a global outlook and so they're really expanding what portuguese culture is so there's always going to be more to learn when you've got pioneers at the helm of culture and i think that's where where we are yeah and it's that idea of especially that younger generation returning and driving the next stages is good i guess there's always concerns aren't there though about because we had golden visa controversies and how it's actually getting it was always the value proposition was always incredible in terms of where you could stay and where you could eat but now property boom and all the rest of it do you have any worry that because there's such a spotlight and because so many people have cottoned on to exactly the opportunities you're describing max that there's a bit of jeopardy there for young people it's too expensive people getting priced out a little bit in lisbon concerned about that or do you think there's such a dynamism and there's so much innovation that we're in safe hands with the that next generation 
So, yeah, I mean, there is definitely that danger. And, you know, I've got friends who, you know, still live in Porto, including, you know, my siblings, who find it a struggle. The price of accommodation has gone up a huge amount. People are being pushed out further afield. But then again, like, you know, we're still talking about Lisbon reaching that point. Porto still has a way to go. And then we're also talking about a dozen other incredible small towns and cities that haven't even been explored. You know, I, I'm seeing that they're more on people's they're more on people's mind now. You know, places like Evra, which is an incredible Roman city down in, in the Alentejo, or Viana de Castelo in the north, or Coimbra, which is Portugal's oldest university city. It's like the Oxford that still hasn't been uh, hasn't been discovered so so i think there's there's a lot of there's still a lot of space for all these people who are discovering portugal to go and enjoy yeah i won't lie there there are already symptoms of that pressure on the locals but with that also comes a buzzing local economy so you know that's what's allowing it's an opportunity it's isn't an it? opportunity <clears throat> and i think that's what's what's powerful about it is that's when you need good people in city hall in the federations of industry and so forth and you need to have exemplars and i think max so many of the projects that you're engaged with help to shine the light in the best way to that point what is next so many exciting projects obviously you've told so much about bardori story the fester as well it seems to me like you're spinning lots of plates big and small um, but what's what's most exciting about what's ahead of you you know i think we always had a, a vision to grow bardori to at least a, a couple more sites in london you know, they're small restaurants. We always wanted to try and keep the offering accessible to the point where we would be able to to share more, share to more people. That really is our like mission, is to share that spirit of Portugal with the UK through honest food and these authentic, characterful wines and, and cultural stories. So it's that, for me, is a really important mission. And Festa does that too, but Bardot was the start. So, you know, we are... We are wanting to open another restaurant soon. It's watch you know, the space. It's watch, very exciting. watch the space exactly. With regards to um, to Festa, I think we're really at the beginning of a journey. It's been, you know, it's been incredibly overwhelming this last year in pivoting to a new business, setting up a festival, and a retail and import business. So it's, yeah, it's it's been um, it's come with its challenges, but I think we've got. <laughs> We've got a real, a really wonderful opportunity, and most importantly, it's just it's on point with that larger mission. And so, yeah, continuing with what we've done, winning the decanter award, we just want to get those wines out to more people. We want to break down that preconception that Portugal's all about lower end value. You know, I think there's a stigma that people come back from Portugal having tried very delicious, but subsidized low-cost wines that don't have UK duty on them and all the other costs that are built into the supply chain of getting them over here. And sometimes it's a hard shift to recognize that what they had there is going to cost a lot more here. But at the same time, I think the quality of Portuguese wines, if you look at you know those kind of retailing 20 to 30 pound wines you're dealing with so, so much quality. And if I compare that to what I might get from a French or Italian or Spanish specialist, I think we're really over-delivering. Over so, 
with Festa, you know, Festa is an extension of Barduru's sort of brand pillar of characterful, authentic wines. It's sort of a a way to supercharge that. So yeah, I'm really excited about about growing the retail side, but also, as I mentioned before, we do also sell to the trade. We represent 22, you know, of Portugal's most exciting producers from every region in the country. And we're really at, at the beginning of that journey, growing growing the awareness within the on-trade, the off-trade. And, you know, that's those are the places, getting it into cool restaurants, getting it into little indie wine shops. And that's the way that we can educate more people and share, share the love of these amazing wines. That was Max Graham. And you can learn more about the brilliant story and a pretty brilliant brand by heading to wearefesta.co.uk. And if you're in central London, why not stop by one of the Bardoro locations? You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. One of Portugal's biggest wine-producing regions is the Alentejo, a province which covers a third of the country, south of Lisbon's River Tagus, all the way down to the Algarve. They've been making wine there for thousands of years, thanks firstly to the Romans, who planted the vineyards and started making wine in great amphora clay pots. Then it was monks and monasteries that carried on the tradition, providing communion wine. Amphora wine, known as Talia in Portugal, is now one of the hottest trends across Alentejo, and as a natural wine, is attracting even more attention. Alastair Lethed is launching a podcast on Portuguese wine in the new year and has been immersing himself in the history, culture and the places where they've been making wine this way since Roman times. For Monocle Radio, Alastair filed this. They've got a lot to sing about here in Alentejo. And wine not only makes a great subject matter, it also helps the traditional canter Alentejano choirs get in the mood. They're singing about their village, Villa de Fradish, or Friars Town. It's at the heart of Talia, or Amphora, wine country, where they've made wine this way for nearly 2,000 years. We may not have abbots anymore, the chorus goes, but our wine cellars are like cathedrals. And there is an adega, or winery, on every street here. People used to make it for their friends and family, but now it's becoming big business. But the young entrepreneur I'd come to see is a 28-year-old former mining engineer called Teresa Caero. At her adega, Generações de Talia, or Generations of Talia. We are in a winery with 250 years. My grandfather bought the, this build. He lives upstairs and the, the winery is uh, it's downstairs. Here we have 50, we have 50 talhas, uh, like uh, some people say amphoras, yes. <laughs> but here it's talha, so okay. uh, it's a clay pot. Okay, uh, where, um, so we have this since the Romans uh, at 2000 years. So it uh, comes generation to generations, and uh, here I am. 
This type of wine I remember always because uh, when I was really child, like baby, I, I remember the sound <laughs> of the wine. That's the trickling she'd hear every November when this natural wine is ready to drink and starts to flow. Tell us a little bit about how you make wine in these, um, these, uh, these talia, these amphora pots. Okay, so the big difference, we use all the grape, okay? We use the skins, we use the, the stem and the seeds. Yes, all, all, all things. Okay. So we put that inside the talia. Uh -huh. Then the fermentation will start. And during this fermentation, all the solid parts will come uh, up. Wow. So there's a layer of stuff, of all the things that are raised to the top near the, the mouth of the, uh, or the top of the, the pot. And how do you deal with that? What's next? Okay, what's next? So then uh, uh, two or three times a day, we will mix uh, everything. If they don't do that, the CO2 builds up and the clay pots can explode. Every winery has floors sloping to the middle where a drain leads to another talia below in case of disaster. Once fermentation is over, the ball of yeast and skins becomes a natural filter. All the solid parts uh, comes down and become uh, be, uh, what we call the mother. Okay, so the, the mother is the solid parts. In uh, the bottom. In the bottom. In the bottom. Okay, um, and then you will have the sun. It's the the wine. Okay. <laughs> then, <laughs> then, then we we wait uh, two months, uh, and then we open the tap uh, so slowly, and the the wine will across the mother, and this is the the natural filter. The wine runs clear. Talia has its own classification in Portugal, but to qualify, it has to stay in the pot until, very specifically, November the 11th, St. Martin's Day, when the opening of the Talias happens and there's a huge celebration. <laughs> That's Teresa's husband, Joao. She fell in love with him and decided to give up diamond mining, move back home and learn to make wine with her grandfather, Professor Arlindo Maria Ruivo. She did a winemaking course and now you can buy their different styles of wines in the fanciest off-licenses in Lisbon. She introduced me. You've been making wine here for a long time. Tell us. Já faz vinho aqui há muitos anos. Conte-nos um bocadinho sobre isso. 50 anos. 50 and what's it like working with your granddaughter? Como é que é trabalhar com a sua neta? É muito difícil. It's a hard work. Why? Porque? Porque ela é que tem os livros. Ela é que estudou e muitas vezes. Uh, because uh, he's saying that it's hard to work with me because uh, I I learn and uh, sometimes he wants to do with one way and I want to do on another way and uh, it's a little bit difficult but it's good. <laughs> so whose wine is the best? Qual é que é o melhor vinho? O meu ou o seu? É o meu. Of course you'd say it's yours. <laughs> Villa de Frades is a typical small Alentejo town with a church and a central square lined with orange trees. All the houses are white with bright colours around the edges of the windows. I met the local mayor who's campaigning for the wine to be protected by the United Nations. 
My name is Rui Raposo and I'm the president of the, the municipality and uh, this is our work uh, to, to keep that, that knowledge like the, the, the Romans did. Now this is something that was done with Cante alla Cejano as well, the singing. That's a UNESCO thing now, isn't it? Yes. Is, is your idea to try and do the same thing? Yes, that's right. And you've um, also developed a, uh, an interpretive centre. Why did you do that? Is this, is this bringing people in from around the world? We need some, 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 some knowledge to introduce the Italian wine. Know all the, the, the taste of the Italian wines. They are all different. And when was this built? When was it opened? It was opened in, uh, in the middle of uh, the pandemic COVID-19, but we don't... Uh, give up. Uh, it's beautiful and we just walked through a tunnel, a cork tunnel that looks like going through the bottom of, a, um, of one of these big clay pots. Why do you think Talia is, is now the big thing? I think it was a so, so great product, sustainable product, a biological product. With this tradition it was a, a unique wine, a unique taste. The St. Martin's Day Festival in Villa de Fradish keeps getting bigger every year, attracting all sorts of visitors. I'm Pedro. I'm here to taste the wine <laughs> <laughs> and to see the opening of the pot. I was born two kilometers from here, so uh, this is my youth. All right, so this is the first one out of Italian this year. What do you think? Still a little bit, a little bit corky, uh -huh. uh, but really soft. Promise a lot. Uh, different, but it tastes earthy. That's pretty good. I quite like that. And Tina was one of the Americans in town for a tasting. I just love the idea of natural old wine. So we're here to drink as much as we possibly can. <laughs> what do you think? It's wine. It's wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite good. <laughs> and it works every time. <laughs> And it works especially well with food, traditional Alentejo black pork. But to try that, you're going to have to come here and visit. That was Alastair Leithhead reporting from the town of Vila de Fraj in Portugal's Alentejo region. His podcast, which launches in the new year, will be called The Big Portuguese Wine Adventure. Do check it out. And to find out more about the winery, search for gerasoisdetalia.com. That's it for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back at the same time next week. Do look out in the meantime for Eureka, which drops every Friday. The programme was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Tamsin Howard. Listen again and find out more about the show at monocle.com. Or, of course, you can follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. If you'd like to reach us or to raise a glass, drop a line to Laura. She's on lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening.